Future Patrick here before the episode starts. Just a quick announcement. I wanted to say everyone should join our Discord. So this episode we recorded about two weeks ago, before the um, a week before the changes happened. So in this episode, we don't announce that in our Discord, we're going to be running a small draft tournament. And our decks for that tournament are due this Friday or Saturday. I don't quite remember, and I don't have time to look it up right now. But all the information about the tournament, and this is a very casual tournament, but all the information will be in our yet-to-be-released episode, which is the next episode, and in the Discord. So if having um, sort of a casual, fun draft tournament where you can make friends with other people in the Farming Eternal community sounds like something you might be interested, I would suggest you join the Discord and you can check the uh, DDD rules channel uh, where Ben has um, what's been described as a manifesto there explaining all the rules for this tournament. And uh, we'd love for you to come and join. So if you're listening to this podcast and you want to join it, please join our Discord. Thank you. Now on to the episode. Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padamaru, and Ruben, or Barefoot Farmer, and Ben, also known as Ben Gracer, on the data mining team. It's episode 25. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, we're going to do our typical um, card, listener, and list of the week. We're not going to do a seven-win-run breakdown because, as I'm sure many of you have heard, the format will be changing soon. But we'll still give a shout-out to everyone who sent in a list. And then finally, uh, because uh, Direwolf is pushing back the release of the draft changes by one week, we get to do a sunset show before the format changes this time, which is very exciting. And I didn't mention up top, but uh, once again, Ruben is not here, but we have the illustrious multi-podcast host, Ben Gracer. Hello, everyone. Hey, Ben. Nice to be here. Th- thanks for having me again, Patrick. So how was your uh, draft week, Ben? Uh, it's been pretty good lately. Uh, I've had uh, a good amount of success on my uh, on my recent drafts on the stream and had a few sevens to report. Uh, it's been been pretty good lately. Did, did some splashing, worked out. It, it always feels good. <laughs> cool. My draft week is not much to talk about because for those of you who've listened to this, I'm going to break timeline a little bit, but... We recorded uh, two episodes, sort of one right after the other. And so I released episode 23 just a couple days ago, as for when we're recording this. But we also have twenty episode 24, which I was vigorously trying to finish editing before the format changed. So I actually didn't play any draft. So the draft that you heard at the end of episode 24 that we reviewed is still sitting there waiting to be played. Um, well, you better better finish that off before the rotation, because who knows whether it'll be good or bad. Well, it started bad, so... <laughs> well, that, that's another approach that you can take. It's like last time, where they like lowered the power level, 
then maybe it'll be about average. So I guess the question is if they could figure out any possible cards in the last five sets that are more powerful than the current curated packs. Maybe. have to dig real deep, I guess. So I have had no drafts this week, unfortunately. But I have listened to a lot of us talk about and, drafts. And edited, yeah. So for our listener of the week, I'd like to give a shout-out to Yistap, who was the very first person, besides for Ben and I, to join the Farming Eternal Discord. For those of you who did not make it to the end of our almost two-hour episode last week... <laughs> Uh, we do have a Discord now, and about 10 people made it all the way through the episode, and they all joined. So we're looking for more people, so I thought I'd throw this at the beginning. But it's been pretty active so far, and it's been a lot of fun. So I recommend everyone join it, and we can you can spend more time talking about draft, and I can spend more time talking about draft and not draft. Yeah. Do you think people who join after they hear this will feel less of a sense of achievement? for joining the Discord than the people who joined before because they didn't have to make it to the end of the episode? Or do you think that will they not feel as good about themselves? I think they could feel pretty smug and smart about... Probably. Efficiency is the key. Yes. So card of the weeks. What's your card this week, Ben? Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about Sarpod Crasher because I think that card is a little uh, underrated. One of the problems with this format is you just don't have enough units, and Sarpod Crasher is a pretty serviceable unit. It's uh, a 3-3 three, three for 4, which is maybe overcosted by 1, uh, compared to, say, Yeti Instigator or uh, Rebel Sharpshooter, that sort of thing. But it has warp, and warp typically costs uh, 2 additional power. Uh, and for this card, it only really costs 1 additional power. Uh, so, you know, when you're in those middle turns of the game, you can warp this off the top and not feel too bad about yourself. It double blocks pretty well. Uh, it trades with anything that costs less, which is a pretty good deal for a warp card. Uh, so I, I think it's it's a little undervalued. Uh, I think it is maybe a little better than the 3-4 the uh, Overwhelm unit that is pretty unexciting. But I, I just think... Any way you can get more units in your time deck for your uh, horns, uh, and if they're reasonable units on their own, that's that's pretty good. And a three three is per a perfectly perfectly fine body for trading and attacking and blocking. Yes. Yeah, it's. Uh, I I like the sword pod crasher. I feel like it's a card that I don't actually see a lot, which seems weird to me. It's not like, I don't know. They never end up in my deck, and so I don't know if I'm just like not pick you know missing them <laughs> or if they just aren't getting past me well they are they're not they're kind of a filler card they're not mm -hmm. they're not very exciting but i think they're one of the better filler cards i think the the rating in the sheets something like uh one and a half times background rate uh which is you know not not crazy or anything but it's it's doing okay and you know you see them near the end of the pack and they're up against some kind of marginal uh off-color creatures or spells or something and i think people should probably be picking that this unit a little more than they're picking you know like a mute or a something something else in the mm -hmm. same colors 
give it a shot. And you went the first time you warp it off the top, you'll be very happy. What about you, Patrick? What, what do you what do you want to talk about here? I want to use my card of the week this week for a little bit of a, a rant. And so my card of the week is Refreshing Waters. Let me read it off for everyone who doesn't know what it is. Uh, refreshing Waters is a six-time-time fast spell that has warp. You gain two health for each of your units. And it's uncommon. It's taking up one of time's uncommon slots. I just don't understand why Direwolf Digital keeps doing this to us. They did this last format with Sustaining Harp, which is uh, two time, you gain two health. Amplify two, you gain an additional two health fast spell. So that was like the ramp your power into into health card. And Refreshing Waters has warp as well, right? Who even knows that? So what you're saying is this is a, a free card that, that gains you 24 life. That's that's basically what this card does. It doesn't cost you a card and, and just gains you twenty four. That that does that seems like a better card. It's just unbelievable to me that they keep printing these horrible life gain spells that are super overcosted. And I feel like the only good one is refresh. Well, and refresh is not a life gain card. It's a, like a combat trick. We'll talk yeah. about that a little later. But like refresh is very good. But when you when you get life gain and it's incidental life gain, it's really powerful. The two three flyer injustice or uh, bright mace paladin or something like that, where the the life gain you don't have to really pay anything for it. That that life gain is extremely good. When when a card is just life gain, it's real hard for it to be good, no matter what the cost is. This could cost zero and it might not be very good. So I just don't understand why. Direwolf keeps overvaluing these cards and costing them so much. I think Refreshing Waters could cost half that much, and it still probably wouldn't see a lot of play. Yeah, I think I think it could cost cost zero, and well, it's a, a warp card that costs zero. You yeah. might see some play then, but you'd still have to have units to play it, so it's like not a control deck card. Uh, like certainly in in ranked, it wouldn't say see play, and a lot of the developers are ex Magic the Gathering pros. Mm-hmm. And they—it's not that they think that these cards are too powerful. I don't think because uh, Magic: The Gathering has this kind of card as well, and it's often panned as being some of the worst cards that you can have. But you know, s- sometimes it's good to have a life gain card, I suppose. Um, and some people build theme decks around it. Maybe it's for for those more casual people. Uh, it's kind of good that it's an an uncommon and not a common if it's not good in in draft because you'll see le- you'll see it less mm-hmm. uh, so it doesn't you'll uh, see pollute things yeah. as much I, I still, like there's no arguing that this is a terrible card I, I think it's a zero straight zero in the in the farming eternal list like you should never play this card you shouldn't put it in your deck a power would be better I think if they have one or two of these a set it's fine I think the problem with their curated packs is that there's just you know, 50 of these. And but this that, is, I mean, Refreshing Waters is in a set six. Yeah, it's set six. That's true. But, set six um, has a higher higher power level, so this stands out for sure. Yeah, right? I guess that's that's part of my problem is, like, I know you said that maybe it's better as an uncommon, but it is so disappointing when this is your time uncommon in the pack you open. It's also miserable that, like, Shadow has vicious rumors. But, yeah, there's a lot of cards that are the the warp cards. They're they're very conservative with warp card power level. 
yeah. because they're kind of free, they kind of say draw a card on them to some extent. Yeah. That doesn't but, excuse sustaining harp from the last format. Uh, well, that was a that was in the last format, and it was showing off the amplify mechanic. How you could spend two any amount of times and gain health each time. So I, yeah. I agree. Like you look at sustaining heart in the last set as well. I believe that was also just a straight zero, and it was also an uncommon, right? So the, yes. the design pattern is being followed there. It's kind of a edge case bad card for certain ranked decks. Uh, maybe there's some kind of combo you can do with this. Uh, I don't know what it would be, but yeah, I, I, I don't. I think they feel like compelled to put a life gain spell in yeah. time in each set, and they just don't want to make it good. But well, it just seems like such a waste. It's just real hard. Just in general, it's hard for a life gain spell to be good, no matter what, no matter what it costs, no matter how much life it gives you. It's it's hard for it to be good. The, uh, I, I do believe there's probably a desire for this from the, the casual community to print cards like this, and that's one of the reasons that they do it. It's just it's unfortunate that it affects draft uh, in this way. Mm -hmm. Design for me a life gain card that is not terrible. It's, it's really hard. Refresh. Uh, well, so that refresh is good, right? <laughs> but it's because, like, what percentage of the time do you use that, the, the mode of you can target yourself? Right, it's but less than twenty five percent, right? Way less, but that's the point. Is like, so it's it's mainly like it's a spell that increases a unit's toughness, or right. its health. It's not really a spell that heals you. Right, so, but that's the point. Is life gain isn't very good. So, at least be clever with it and make a useful card by having it be an add on instead of wasting an uncommon slot with yeah. a card that. You know, between set five, set five and a half, and set six, we've probably had cl close to 800 lists, right? And we have yet to see oh, yeah. one of these cards. Yeah. To their credit, they do do some of this with cards like uh, Arcanum Elite and that uh, Combray card, Combray Healer. Mm -hmm. It, like, increases a unit stats and get, like, that's kind of some incidental life gain. They do have some cards like that. But I agree that like the pure life gain cards that tend to be in time, especially, are are pretty bad. They should probably do less of that and more of the cards that you're suggesting, like refresh. Yeah, like Healer's Cloak. Healer's Cloak is a life gain card. It's actually quite good in the in this format. Mm -hmm. So like you look at Healer's Cloak and you look at this card and you're like, why does this card exist? So it is it is a little confusing. It, it misleads new players. So yeah, I'm not a fan of it. And okay. it's just it's just disappointing to see in your pack. So let's go down to our seven win run breakdown. Like I said, we're not going to sort of review the format uh, this episode because the format is changing. Hopefully this episode gets <laughs> yeah. out before that happens. I don't guarantee it. But we do want to give a shout out to everyone who did send in a list this week. So we had a new submitter, another ship, as well as a bunch of veteran submitters. Uh, ben Gracer, Celtic Guardian 7, Eris Elite with four lists, Fang Warb, Gibbon Plus Plus, Glozu, Induku, Jedi EJ, John Holio, Mancio 1982, Man and Mouse with 15, Out in a Limb, Parmalai, Rizla, Savage, uh, Savage Fantastic, Soapy Elo, Spiro, Spiffy Man, Tempest Dragon King, Winter Mute, and Zorinia. Did you want to do a little bit of uh, 
retrospective on the lists that we got this this format? Yeah, yeah. In this last week, we got 45 lists in a week, which is that's above any week in set five. So that's really good from uh, 22 listeners. Thank you very much. And and for the entirety of the set six format, we're at 537 lists, which is just insane. That's that's twice as many lists as we had in in uh, set six, more than twice, I think. And we have 173 submitters. Now that we're getting close to 200 unique people who have sent us lists, which is just crazy. We also have a few people with more than 30 lists submitted, which is a little insane. Uh, Dwiggy, Cassandrath, Man and Mouse, and Rofer each have more than 30 lists. So thank you very much to uh, those people. I know at least uh, Cassandrath and Man and Mouse uh, stream, so they're probably good people to, to check out for the video content. We, and I just want to say, like, seriously, thank you to, to everyone who has submitted a list. It's we, we provide these stats and we calculate metrics. Can't do that unless we have data. And you guys have really been knocking it out the not knocking it out of the park for submissions, especially early in the season. So that's that's really great. I mean, it's really great. And not even early in this in the season, as you were saying, we're still getting a ton of lists. People are still seem to be excited to play Eternal Draft, at least the people who listen to this show. So it's been really great that, you know, we've been able to keep such a constant, you know, churn of lists coming this way. Yeah, a lot of people like this week were talking about not playing or whatever because the new format's coming out soon. Got to save your gold. We still have 45-7-1 lists coming in, so people are still playing. All right, and there was a list of the week that you wanted to point out. Yeah, so there's a couple here. So uh, Mom submitted, Man and Mouse submitted uh, 15 lists, and there's a couple things that were notable about this 15 list. Uh, three of them were Feln. Feln is a very low-performing uh, list, and he managed to make it work. So maybe take a look at those and see what he did there. Actually, one of those Feln lists, like Primal and Shadow, they are kind of powered by their uncommons. One of those lists only had six non-commons. Like most of the cards in the list were commons, and it's still converted to a seven. So that's really interesting. But the the one I really want to talk about is list 517 for Mum. Uh, he splashed two clan barracks and a mining team into a, into a kind of a scout warp combo deck. Uh, and those and what were the really colors of the deck? Uh, it was Elysian, I believe, splashing splashing the fire. Okay. Uh, you don't often splash Mining Team, but Mining, ti- Mining Team is a warp card and a scout card, and he had Ancient Clock Tower and the two clan barracks. When you have mm-hmm. clan barracks, pretty much any card that says scout on it uh, looks a lot better when it's generating a 4-4 as well. So that list was one of a kind. <laughs> it had all sorts of crazy cards. So t- take a look at that if you're interested. There's also another kind of crazy list, list 490. And it just has, it's a straight three color list. Uh, let me look up the, the user because I didn't write that down. Straight color, uh, Rizla. Rizla submitted this, uh, list 490 in the sheet. It's a straight three color list with just more rares and uncommons than I've seen in the deck. And they're, they're really good. Well, some of them are good, and some of them are. I rare drafted this, so I may as well play it. Cards, but like, there's just so many weird cards in this list, one of a kind, not in any other list. Uh, Take a look at that, and that turned into a seven. 
So that's uh, pretty cool, I think. So shall we go to our our main topic, which is uh, a set six sunset? We did this first. Uh, we did this at the end of at the end of set five point five, and kind of did a retrospective on both sets. But we figured since we had time before. came out, we would do a little retrospective on our experiences with set six before the changes. So we'll do this like last time. We have a couple questions that Ben and I will answer. And if you have any feedback on how we do our sunset shows or would like us to change anything, uh, we're always open to that. You can get a hold of us at farmingeternal at gmail.com or on the Discord. So Ben, how would you quickly summarize the set six draft format? Uh, I would say that, uh, so fire time and justice were really good, but only because they were deep and you should really be finding the open color. You need to find at least one open color and get as much as you can out of that. And then in the curated packs, you just kind of have to survive the curated packs. There's a lot of bad cards in there and you just get what you can out of it and hope that pack four bails you out. I would summarize this as uh, time is a great place to be. You know, time ended up being my sort of comfort color, and it turned out to be a great comfort color. And like you said uh, in episode 23, for some reason it always seems open. I agree. That That's like, I would say that is my preference color. Like you say, a comfort color, uh, it seemed like it was always open, had, had good cards, depth, uh, some synergies. All right, so how did you like this format? Uh, I don't think I liked it as much as set five, but like set five was made for me, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. and so I think it was about the same as set 5.5, like a little less splashing. Don't really like that as much. I think splashing adds a variety to uh, deck building and dra- the drafting experience. And this was pretty much a two color format. So if you understand that and embraced it and enjoyed that, it's good. Uh, if you wanted to kind of break out of the mold a little bit, it was kind of hard to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, just because like the fixing was primarily uncommon and learned herbalist, which is very hard to, uh, it's not a good tempo card. Yeah, I think I would put that in the, in the same order where it goes set five, set six, and 5.5. Though I don't actually, I think... 5.5 ended up not being that bad. It just, 5 was so fun that yeah. <laughs> yeah. that my memories of 5.5 are probably worse than it actually was. Because I do think there were, you know, a little bit, a few flaws to this format. I wish there were a few more playables. You know, the draft packs are way worse than, than the set 6 packs, but the set 6 packs are, I think, worse than the set 5 packs. And so... Probably... Yeah, just felt like there was a little bit too much struggling for playables and and too many packs that you opened that were just not as exciting as they could be. But yeah, but I, I had a lot of fun. I played a lot of drafts or as many as I could. So that was, even though I'm being a little negative, I, I'm not actually negative on the format. I just, all right. So what faction ended up being the best? Well, I think like, like we've talked about, time is like a comfort pick. I think it's time is an attempt to like dodge the most popular color, the most powerful color, which I believe is it's hard to argue that fire is not the most, most powerful, most popular, most successful color. Like cannon is extremely good. Shugo standard 
there, there's just so many good aggressive units and like on the same plan in, in fire and you can pair it with almost anything and it'll do pretty well mm-hmm. uh, it's like the one faction that could pull primal uh like up out of where it was so i think i think fire is is the best and then like time is an attempt to like dodge a maybe slightly overdrafted color in fire because everyone knows fire is the best so you do time instead and then slightly underdrafted color instead of a slightly overdrafted color Mm. what do you think what do you think patrick yeah i i agree i mean fire is definitely the best in our sheet it's hard to look at the time cards and not think that time is probably could theoretically be equally as good I think the fact that fire had better spells, and so was, I think, I don't even know if this is true, but in some sense could be a better support color, I think also helped fire sort of be the best faction where it's just like, you know, even if you were just playing fire for cannon in a bunch of streets of flames, you're still doing, you're doing all right. Though the same could be said for, you know, corrupted behemoth. So. I don't there, know if that's were, truly an explanation. Well, fire, I think Fire and Time were a little friendlier colors. They played a little better with mm-hmm. other factions. Yes. The influence costs were easier. If you got stuck for a little while, you had some tempo spells like Char to like keep you alive. Or in Time, you had some defensive creatures, some 1-3s that'll like gain you a few life while blocking some 2-2s while you drew out of your power problems. So it had a little bit... A little bit more tools and a little bit less uh, bad cards. So moving on, what was your pack one, pick one common in set six? For me, it was Corrupted Behemoth for sure. I think Corrupted Behemoth just did so many things. People play like Eviscerate to kill a creature. Well, you play Corrupted Behemoth, you kill all their creatures because none of them can attack. And then it's kind of got some incidental life gain in there. It's just like super good at stabilizing, super good at harming your opponent's life total finishing them off with the overwhelm it's just it's hard for it to go wrong and it's a single influence like we said before it's just really good you're you're not really paying you're not overpaying you're underpaying for this card it should probably cost six Mm -hmm. Uh, and it would still be pretty good then but at, at five it's just it's it's hard to look at this card and say well it's not really that great. I agree 100%. I think it's also one of the least replaceable cards. You know, like Fire has Blurry Chaser, which I think is a, a great, the best two drop. But the other two drops aren't that much worse than it. While I feel like the drop in power between Corrupted Behemoth, like it's shocking to me how much better I feel playing, playing Corrupted Behemoth over Tremor Shocker. Yeah. And so you would think like, oh, Corrupted Behemoth is probably, you know, the best, but probably replaceable. But it just did so much that it ended up not being true. So I think we started this, we started set six, Ruben and I, with me saying that I would have picked uh, Devotee of Sands over Corrupted Behemoth. But by the end of the format, I was definitely on his side. And I think uh, Corrupted Behemoth, probably the the common that I wanted to see most, pack one, pick one. Yeah, I think there are a lot, like the top tier of cards is 
pretty strong. Like the top 10 or, or 15 cards, like all of them are very good because they do unique things that are important in the format. And Corrupted Behemoth is just this huge blocking machine uh, that's hard to remove. Uh, Blurry Chaser is like super aggressive. A devotee ex- accelerates you into the late game. They're all they're all really good, but yeah. it's just it's corrupted behemoth for me. Okay, so what card were you hoping to see? Pack one, pick one, in set six. Yeah, so I started this by like looking at the rares, and like I wasn't really excited about any of the rares. I remember saying like Moonstone Vanguard in the last format because that was just an exceptional bomb rare. Uh, I looked at some uncommons, and the uncommons were pretty good. So really what I was looking for was something like a blurred stigma lock or a, a cannon or something like that. And I, I think I would, I would say stigma lock because I favor time is probably the, the card I wanted to open the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like all the standards were super good and those are uncommon. Like it was really a, a set with uh, uncommon power. Like the power cards were uncommons, I think. Yes. And then like the top section of the commons was also extremely powerful, but then the rares were kind of maybe not as uh, influential. I agree. I think we're both in the same place. Not that it's the best card in the world, but it's a card that I'm very happy to open. And you do have to build your, that's a card where you kind of have a plan from peck one. You want to get some creatures and getting creatures is pretty good plan to begin with so yeah that's (laughs) that's always my plan (laughs) so then were there any cards that you felt like you underrated at first that ended up being better than you thought oh i think for me refresh for sure like i look at that card and see well doesn't really do anything that was like my first impression like it doesn't make the unit bigger uh, uh, more dangerous let's say yes but the that it's a fast spell that it uh, enables twist, that is good even when you don't have twist, that it gives you a, like a persistent value, like something like sharpened reflexes, and it does all of that together, uh, makes it really good. It, like, I like to joke about this card now that it's uh, basically withstand. Uh, withstand is like a bomb, a bomb rare, uh, and refresh does a pretty good job of looking like withstand in a lot of situations when you're just looking to twist it doesn't matter what the attack is when you when your guys are already high attack it doesn't really matter that they're even higher attack they just need to survive so that they can keep doing their thing so it's just a a really good card i think that i i certainly underrated because more health doesn't really it's not obvious what the effect of the additional persistent health is mm-hmm. and you can you can use it in a pinch to save your life if you're getting very low you know you refresh your face kill several of your opponent's units in a bad attack and then you're winning now uh instead of dead so like having that mode is just just another mode that the card has that makes it more powerful so what about you Did yeah you I, yep i picked mining team which is the four fire two two with warp and shift for two, um, and not saying that this isn't a great or amazing card. And we've talked a couple times about it on the podcast, but I think 
having thought a lot about this card and you're sort of championing it, I realize that it's very easy to underrate how flexible this card is and how many situations it's sort of useful and playable. And so it looks like a four power two, two, but because of the different modes and the different keywords on it, you know, it actually comes up to be a surprisingly usable card. And it's not only is it just flexible in, in and of itself, but it, it supports a number of different synergies in the format. It's getting close to double background rate as well. So that's that's something. Refresh in the numbers refresh was like a 1.5 or something like that. So it's not when I saw it initially, it was I said this is a zero. <laughs> and, and now I'm saying it's a it's a card I'll take over replacement level cards. And that says something for a spell for me. Well that that's actually really interesting because I feel like 1.5 is low in my mind for refresh. It is not high. It is still not a creature. Uh, you need to have four position for it to be good. Um, it's not great against removal. Like they play eviscerate on your guy, they two for one you. But it's in used in the right way. It's uh, very powerful and can lead to two for ones or three for ones. So it's not it's not a card you're gonna want to run. You know, four of or even three of. I wonder but, if that's the difference because you know people. I think people who like refresh consider it maybe like one of the better combat tricks of the yeah, format. It, I think it is one of the better combat tricks. Yeah. But you know, like daring removal or daring maneuvers, we talked about um, in episode twenty-three, is double the background rate, so it's way more common. Well, daring maneuver, it's not persistent, but it gives you it's. I guess it's the same cost. It lets you kill your opponent. Like having having attack does matter. Mm-hmm. Like withstand is better than than refresh. So it can it can help you do more on the tempo side, I think, than refresh does. But you know, refresh is like a role player and a synergy card that is good even when you don't have the synergy. And I would say just. I put a note on here, like not I'm, I do not like Warren Shield and Furnish, but I do like Refresh because Refresh is like generally powerful, a combat trick, and Furnish and Warren Shield are really neither of those things. Okay. Um, so you don't think the lower number is could be attributed to the community still underrating that, or at least I think I think some people might be where I was beforehand, where they're saying, well. It doesn't doesn't make it a lot bigger, so lower than daring maneuver. That's that's a really interesting comparison because of, of the persistent stats. Like, I think it helps a card like Blurry Chaser more to have a uh, daring maneuver than it helps a card like Corrupted Behemoth to have a refresh. Like the Behemoth is doesn't need the refresh, but it's good. The Blurry Chaser really likes the Daring Maneuver, and the Nimble uh, Conscript really likes the Daring Maneuver. You you actively want like as many of those as you can get when you're playing the Aggressive Fire decks, just because mm-hmm. it's so good. It's a removal spell and face damage. Um, it's, it's great. But then Refresh is like, 
things kind of have to be going your way for it to work out. And it's in a color that's a little less aggressive. So uh, I know, but it has the big it has, it has the cost. big units to really blow out the yeah, double and triple blocks. They have to have a bunch of guys, and then you know, okay, so I attack you with a corrupted behemoth, you block it with three two twos, and I kill two of them. Like that's already a pretty good deal. If you have the refresh to still have a behemoth, that's even better. But that's kind of a little bit win more at that point. I so guess. Maybe that's hurting it a little bit, just that the units are so good even without it. Mm -hmm. Whereas like Blurry Chaser, they have a 2-4. That Blurry Chaser is kind of dead unless you have the Daring Maneuver. Uh, yeah. Whereas Time, you're in this huge board stall. You get your refresh, it's still a board stall kind of. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I hate seeing refresh more. Because not only does it blow you out, then you, you go to the next turn and you're like, oh, crap. Now that behemoth is a 410, I can literally never get through that. Yeah, but, so you have to have something like a retribution or an eviscerate or a yeah. uh, downfall or, or something to get through it and recover your card advantage. Uh, I do like being on the corrupted behemoth plus refresh side of that, <laughs> that engagement for sure. But it's really good, like, it's really good with ooze. Like, it's, it's just kind of a interesting synergy card that's kind of at the nexus of a lot of different good things, kind of like training ground or mining team. It's not, like, super powerful individually, but it, it does pretty well in the format. Okay, so was there any card that you overrated or just never did what you wanted it to do? Man, I, I tried to make Belligerent Yeti work. That's the 2-1 for two in primal that twists for one it only costs one to twist the card and it when you twist it it does damage uh, this card is like needs synergy it needs synergy to be good otherwise you're paying three power for a snowball uh three power for a snowball is not not a very good deal and it, it like can't attack into one threes it, it it's not a very good creature as is you really need to have like the furnishes, the refreshes, the the venomous daggers, the snow forts, whatever other support card to make it work. And I've tried drafting it even with the support cards, and I just you have to draw both cards, or the cards individually are not very good. So that's just a card. I, I tried to make that work so many times. <laughs> I tried. I really tried to force it. Tried to make Primal do something, and it just. I couldn't make it work. Some some other people made it work in the sheets. Well done to them. Check out those lists if you're if you're interested because there's definitely some people playing belligerent yeti successfully. It just uh, I my card evaluation didn't line up with with that card being good. My card is expedition leader, which is uh, the the now two time one one, where you draw two cards every time a unit emerges. Why do you think that this card didn't live up to the expectations, let's say? Well, because if you can play it and a single card emerges, it's better than a Temple Scribe. It, it is better than Temple Scribe, yes. Is it better than Wisdom of the Elders? Best case scenario it is because you're paying two power for it's two cards. Yeah. And that's the best worst case scenario if two cards emerge 
in its uh, life I span. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand that best worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is you play a two mana one one and don't have any emerge cards and you have a two mana one one. Right. Right. But I, I mean, if it does its thing once. If it does its thing, yes. Yeah. Yeah. If it triggers. Now, it, White, did you ever draw it? I don't think I drew any cards off this in the whole format. Were you able to 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 draw some cards? I I have drawn cards with it, but it just seems like it's never as powerful. Or I don't even know if it wasn't as powerful. I just didn't see it as often as I as I thought I should see it based on how powerful I think it should be. <laughs> you think you should be able to get it late or something, and you weren't seeing it late. Well, no, 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 sorry. No, I just mean in-game. Like, I felt like I should be losing to the card. But I just never saw the card. Yeah, the the problem... So I think a problem Expedition Leader has is that it's... It would almost be better if it wasn't a unit, right? And it's hard to say that cards that would be better if they didn't have stats are, are actually units. So people will play this card... And then they can't get it into combat or it'll die. And they lose their card value. And they have shifted units, so those units also are not involved in the combat. If you have too much of that stuff going on, like you just don't have a board position and you die. If it's really good, like your opponent has a window to interact by killing your 1-1 creature. Uh, Like if you have a couple shift units then they have to kill it. If you don't have any shift units, they can just leave it alone and you have a two-power one-one. I, I think that hurt it quite a bit. Like the three-turn delay on the shift made this card a lot worse. If if it was shift two, then you know you play your shift unit, then you play your expedition leader, then the next turn it comes off shift, and that's kind of a natural curve that right. could be good. But when you go shift unit, play your expedition leader, okay, now you got two more turns that you got to keep this unit alive, and then it dies, or, or even if they get their value, they, are, they paid a lot of life points to get there. So I think it was buffed. It, they reduced the cost from, from three to two, so you could fit it in a little bit more, and it wasn't as much of a tempo hit. But it suffered a lot, I think, from the best-case scenario mentality. I don't know if you know about that theory where people will look at it and say it's a better temple scribe because it draws draws your two cards and that's the, the bottom. And then in their mind it can go up from there. But the bottom is <laughs> the bottom is two mana two power one one. Uh, yeah, though I would say like when it when the bottom was a three power one one, then I was like, this is unplayable. Was, yeah. But a two power one one is not great, but you know, um, name for me a two power one one that you would play in draft. Uh, is faithful. That's not a two power one one. That's a two it power three. It is power. sometimes though. That's and it has to warp, so it's kind of a you know draws a card or whatever. Right? Yeah. So that's fair in that it's technically a one one, but uh, but I'm saying if we're talking about worst case scenarios here, which we are, sure. You know that is. It has the it has the same floor. It's all I'm saying. It's pretty easy for that card to say draw a card mm-hmm. and be a one one, and it's pr- not terribly difficult for it to be a three three for two, which is well above rate. Mm-hmm. And if it's both of those things, then it's you know 
extremely good and it is in the top it's like the 11th best common in right. the format so that's interesting but like what about coastal diplomat is coastal diplomat a, a card that you would play i mean I, power one one i have played it before yeah but do you think it's a creature like is it a is it a two drop mm. not really right no no i agree and but see, part of that is just because the upside in this format isn't as good as I think it was maybe last format, where I feel like I played it actually a little bit more. Yeah, I think one thing that hurts this card in comparison with cards like, uh, I don't know, Ancient Clock Tower or something like that, is that the um, curated packs could not have shift cards in them. Yeah. So you had to get all of your shift cards from set one and four. Set one and four had a lot of good cards in them. So there mm -hmm. was a... like. A lot of competition, well, good cards. They, they had the better cards in them. And yeah. uh, so there's a little bit more competition there for getting your good cards. So mm -hmm. I think that, that hurt, uh, like, shift synergies a little bit, whereas maybe you didn't see that same effect out of warp the synergies. Warp synergies, yeah. Or scout synergies, for example, because they were warp and scout in all of our packs. Yeah, I agree. I think shift... I think shift as a synergy mechanic didn't really pan out in this draft format, but like we were saying is, and I'm not saying it's easy to do, but you really only need a single shift unit to emerge with this guy on the board to be happy with it, I think. You, it is required, I would say, to have a shift unit emerge for you to be happy with it. Would you agree yes. with that? Right, yeah, I required, but that's what I mean, is at one, I think you're happy with it. I, I agree. I'm agreeing with you, even though it doesn't sound like it. Because what I'm saying is, in the end, that having a single shift unit emerge turned out to be way harder than, I than, agree, you, yeah. you think it, than you would think it would be, which is, I think, what ultimately was the demise of this card. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So I didn't. It's, it's not really fair for me to say I drew zero cards off this because I don't think I ever put it in a deck. But I also played against this card quite a lot, and I don't think my opponents ever drew any cards off it either. It, from both sides, it just it was too hard to pull off for one way or the other. Either they didn't have any shift units to go with it, or, or they couldn't afford to not block. They, they yeah. had to do something to have uh, board position when other than developing a shift unit that is like not attacking or blocking and playing this one one for two that's also not attacking or blocking it's kind of the the same bet tempo downside so if you do too much of that tempo downside you're too far behind and you're forced into situations that you don't would rather not be in yes i think, I think also the fact that there's char in the format didn't help yeah, and there's a fair number of ping effects, too, with the, yeah. not as many as in uh, set five, probably. But What synergy direction were you most willing to go in on? The synergy I liked the most, perhaps, was the armor synergy, because a lot of the ways you, get, you got armor were by playing uh, relic weapons, and relic weapons affect the board. There was also a lot of kind of incidental armor on cards that were independently powerful, like Tarid Test Pilot, uh, the one four that twisted for armor, or the two two for two that when you cast a spell you got an armor, daring aviator and Valkyrie militant was like probably the worst of those, but it kind of passively armor when you played weapons. 
just that kind of incidental armor gain combined with some payoffs for it, which was also the relic weapons. Um, it, it was kind of in my wheelhouse of doing things that affect the board position rather than playing a card like Grip, for example, which get, gets you armor but doesn't doesn't really do anything. Uh, and then the payoffs were things like Daring Aviator and uh, Coastal Blade Barrier. That card, it wasn't like a 2-2 two, two for 3 is below rate, but it's not a 1-1 one, one for 3 at least. And a 5-5 five, five for 3 is well above rate. Mm -hmm. So you, you, like, it wasn't so bad that I wouldn't play it. And, and then when it was good, it was extremely good. So I, I think that for me, it was the armor synergy more than like spells or scout or warp or shift or that sort of thing. What 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 called your name the most of the various synergies? Yeah, I mean, I think the armor the armor one was the easiest one to uh, to do because there was so much incidental armor gain and the payoffs were pretty low rarity. Though the payoffs weren't yeah. like I think splashy payoffs. I think Scout was probably the best in that regard, where there were just like the clan barracks and e even the like the flyer, the four three flyer, or the what are what are the other Scout payoffs? Well, I guess it's really just clan barracks and maybe needle spitter. Ah, uh, needle spitter, yeah, yeah. I think that card is better than it looks because it looks it looks extremely bad, but. It, if you can get some repeatable scout or you get some incidental scout or backpackers machetes or something, it, it becomes an okay card. Oh, really? I think the card looked incredible. I just never got it to. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, there's, <laughs> you think it looks incredible. You got to actually have the results to say, wow, this is a, this is a good um, card. But yeah, <laughs> so I, I would say that I think um, the armor is probably the, was the best place to be if you're going for synergy, but scout was the splashiest. What do you think about the, the twist strategies with like Blood Nurse and the Ooze, that, that sort of thing? What yeah, I guess it depends on, on what you mean by strategy. If you're saying like, would I like to play some Blood Nurses and Oozes and a couple Horns so I could twist a couple extra times? I think that was obviously very strong, but partially it's just because Horn is great. If you're saying... Did I wish that I could get um, the Scarecrow to work so I could have infinite twists? Then that was a lot harder for me to get to work. Yeah. Would, would you like, were you looking for things like Snowfort to put in your deck to get twists? Because that's like, that's kind of all it does is give you more twists. Whereas Horn is like actively board position enabling. No, that's a bit of a trick question because I was never primal. <laughs> Fair enough. I almost got you, but uh, you escaped. Once again, I don't know if Twist really had payoffs beyond just like the Twist cards were good. And I think the Spell Synergy one just, I think, fell flat. This was actually maybe sh should have been my card that I overrated at first and then turned out to be horrible is the three justice justice plus one plus one for every spell in your void. Oh, yeah. I don't even know the name of that card because I looked at it and said this is a three power one one. Like, 
if you compare that card to Finest Hour, it doesn't doesn't feel very good. Yeah, I was comparing it to Strength of Many. Well, <laughs> which was playable. There's some. It has some disadvantages over Strength of Many. It, uh, it, it turned out it had a lot because it was. Yeah. Oh, the card name was Inner Might. I just remember. There you go. Yeah. Uh, it turned out it had a lot of disadvantages. It seems because it was way worse than Strength of Many. Combat tricks kind of have to be cheap to be good. Double influence is really hard on cards, especially in this format. Mm -hmm. And playing things that are not creatures can be problematic because it doesn't develop your board position. I think I think the spell synergy stuff in general was more trap than effective. Yes. Like even a Lessy or a Pearl Abbey Smuggler and that sort of thing, just there's not enough support for it. Not enough like card draw. Mm -hmm. Uh to, to recover from playing a, a spell that then probably doesn't affect the board. I agree. I mean, obviously, Wormstone, great card. Wormstone is a, Wormstone's the one that I would play out of that. But yeah. you just need the one. Yeah, and you don't need that many spells. So I even when I played a Wormstone, I wasn't like, I'm a spell deck. I was like, oh, I'm a deck with a four power seven seven. And you could play um, like five spells and that card was just fine. You didn't have to be, like, ten spells. Though, now that you mentioned it, I do wonder if Inner Might would be a lot better if it only cost a single justice. <laughs> I think there's a lot of things we could do to make it better. If it costs two and a single justice, I think people would be playing it. Because then, like, you could be thinking of that as, like, a two power plus two plus two. And there's some parallels there with, uh, like, Pummel and Daring Maneuver. Mm -hmm. But at a three power combat trick, you got to be doing better than plus one plus one is the baseline. You probably have to do, be doing better than plus two plus two. So, and that's just, you got to cast two spells and then this spell and then this spell is sort of an okay combat trick. That's, yeah. a, that's a lot to ask. Yeah, but it's a lot more to ask when it's an okay combat trick that's also impossible to cast because it's double yeah. influence. <laughs> yeah. What card did you play that never did what you wanted it to? So there were kind of two in the, for the same reason. I, I think uh, Relentless Deadshot, that's the 2-2 two, two for 2 Injustice that twists to stun a unit and has lifesteal. That card looks amazing to me. And the the fire card, uh, Cesari Dervish, that's a 3-2 charge for 3 that uh, twists to uh, exhaust a unit. These are kind of similar cards in a lot of ways. Uh, I really wanted these cards to be good, and I really wanted them to enable me to just kill my opponent. I, I, I looked at them and saw Flash Freeze, and I should have been looking at them and seeing something like Fend Off, uh, because it was just so expensive to do the twisting. And at a baseline, you could only twist them twice. So it was just... My evaluation was was very high on these, and I would play them and like want to twist them twice, and you need like eight power to do that or something. Mm -hmm. it, it's just so expensive on on the twist costs that it it never did that cool thing that I wanted it to do, which is basically cast flash freeze. Uh, <laughs> but I was I was going to pay eight or seven power or whatever for my flash freeze, and that didn't end up working out too well for me. I'm going to cheat here and say Dizo's Racket again. 
<laughs> I think that's reasonable. Like, it's it's a flashy rare that seems like it should do something. It draws you cards. It turns bad cards into good cards. Why wouldn't you want a card like that? But yeah, we talked about this a little bit on the previous podcasts. How it kind of it's easier to kill yourself than to kill your opponent with the Dezos mm-hmm. racket. And part of the problem also is even if you're drawing cards, they're all bad cards. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't help to draw more of them, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. other the the other one that's like a bit frustrating is Caleb Sanctum. Though I think that one's direwolf. Oh my goodness. That card. That it would have to be for ranked. Yeah. And I don't even know. I don't think I've ever seen a deck play it. Well, I think I have seen it played in ranked, but I don't mm-hmm. know that it did very well. The, those, the Sanctums in general didn't uh, do too well, I would say. And that, that's one of the rare slots that that uh, didn't work out very well. I think the the Primal Sanctum was yeah. extremely good, but I think the other ones were all kind of... This is maybe a little hard to explain, but what card made you groan when your pl- opponent played it against you? Oh, that's that's easy to explain. When your opponent plays Roland's Honor Guard and you just used your Eviscerate, that's not good. Because <laughs> whatever uh, whatever offense you thought you had, you don't have that offense anymore, and you can't go around it. Uh, you you can't go over it. Uh, it's just there. You can't race it. Um, you just you have to be able to deal with it, or it wins the game for your opponent. And sometimes you don't have removal in your deck that will that will deal with it. So uh, that's the one that definitely made me feel the worst because it could bring you back from almost any board position. Roland's Honor Guard, yes, it's a seven power, a double justice, six uh, six flying life steal. So it's it's huge. There aren't very many six six flyers or better. So it's, it's bigger than almost everything. Uh, it has lifesteal. It has flying. It's pretty good even if you silence it because, you know, it's 6-6. Six, six. It doesn't, silencing doesn't kill it. Yeah. Silencing is very good, but you really need to interact with it or your opponent is just going to be racing almost any board position. Speaking of seven cost justice cards, mine is Zolta Loyalist which is the 7 Justice Justice 6-6 six, six, Endurance. When you attack the enemy player with exactly one unit, it gets plus one, plus one permanently, and it has shift three. Yeah, so this is like a Paladin Oathbook sort of card. Paladin mm-hmm. Oathbook was very difficult to defeat in previous sets, and this is a Paladin Oathbook that's a unit. Yeah. So it's, it's even more, more threatening. Um, yeah, it, and I think, I'm not saying that this card is better than your card, I think. And I've beaten this. I have beaten this card before, shifted on three. For being a legendary and the amount I've played draft this format, I played against this card an unbelievable amount of times. You saw it a lot. <laughs> you, you must have been seeing it. Like, I'm, I play against Roland Sonnergaard. You play against uh, Zolta Loyalist. Is that what it's called? Yeah, I I haven't seen that card as much, but yeah, it's extremely threatening. And like shift three means it's attacking you on what turn turn six? It's attacking you. 
with a six six endurance, that's uh, that's above rate for sure. And it's probably a seven seven endurance if you yeah. attack alone. And if you shift it on three, you know, then they attack on their turn three with their two drop, and it's now bigger than your two drop. Yeah, they can. You need you need like a two drop into it. Like mm-hmm. Paladin Oath, Oath Book was somewhat held in check because you you had to like have a unit first, and most mm-hmm. of the time you didn't have a one drop. So, uh, but but this like you can quite easily play a two drop and then shift this out on three, and your curve is not really even impacted by that. So, it's it's pretty good. On the other end of the spectrum, was there? A card an opponent would play that made you think, I cannot, I absolutely cannot lose to this card. I think any of the one cost warp uh, spells, I would think to myself, oh, please don't let me lose this game. <laughs> like they play a heist or a Bren scrying from hand or a, a good idea at the time from hand or whatever that shadow card was called. I actually didn't see that very much, but I saw a lot of people playing heists. And Bren's scrying, and I was just, oh man, I hope, <laughs> I hope that I don't lose this game because they just played a bad, you know, Jawbone Helm or whatever that card is called, or Bren's scrying. I mean, ugh, Bren's scrying. I have, I have lost games to those cards as well. Uh, lost games where those cards were played. Obviously, Bren's scrying doesn't kill you. <laughs> it's, it feels bad. What about you? What, what, what would you see and say? Please don't let me lose this game. Yeah, it's funny because uh, we went the the opposite direction. I, my two cards are both sort of on the upper end of the scale. So one of them is Snowmass Jotun, and the other is Outdraw. So Outdraw is the uh, six-cost deal four damage uh, spell that you gain... Um, four power if you onslaught it this turn, and then Snowmass Jotun is the seven cost five seven with warp and shift five. Why do you think that? Uh, so did you think Snowmass Jotun was quite good? Like they would shift it in, and you were you were worried that you were going to lose that game, or it was just a really big card played on seven that you couldn't get through. Part of it was the inevitability of when they warped it in for seven. <laughs> yeah. You just knew you were going to lose the game. And it's a card that uh, I would never put in my deck because it just seems like too clunky. The expensive um, expensive warp costs are, are kind of problematic. Yeah, though uh, you haven't heard this episode yet, Ben, but um, Celtic Guardian was on last episode, and she really talked up Snowmass Snow Jotun. I do think uh, that card has potential like because of the versatility, but... When I play against primal people and they play that on turn five, then they die on turn eight or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it's a you spend so much power on this unit and then you can't block with it, and and you die. And that's the like most common scenario I've seen with the Snowmass Jotun. But I think if you have a defensive enough deck, this can be kind of like a blue mining team where it's a little versatile mm-hmm. and you can. You can play enough defense, and it's kind of a card draw card late in the game, and uh, yeah, get some incremental you, value. Yeah, yeah, but it can't be like you can't be counting on like you would count on uh, 
uh, corrupted behemoth, for example, which has the, the same cost. It, it's a little smaller, but at least it can attack and block on, on turn five. So I'm not saying that it is a horrible card or that one should never put it in their deck, but I anytime it was played against me, it usually meant I was losing, and it always made me think, I can't believe I'm losing to someone who would put this in their deck. I understand what you're saying. <laughs> so now, uh, now that we've gone through a couple cards, uh, what are your top commons in each of the five colors? Well, I think we're mostly in agreement here, but I, I can't say enough good things about Corrupted Behemoth. And uh, Retribution is just a really solid removal spell for justice. I think I like Nimble Conscript, I think, for fire the most. It, it's the most like focused, aggressive card. Uh, and it plays really well with uh, combat tricks, along with some other cards like Blurry Chaser. Nimble Conscript is the 3-4 the Reckless guy. For um, Primal, I would say like Cobalt Coin is my favorite card from that color because you don't have to be Primal to play it. And I think a lot of the Primal commons are rely a little bit too much on synergy maybe or a little too understated and my last color is shadow uh, and i think with shadow the crooked alley guide is probably the best it's another nice aggressive kind of three slash one drop versatile scout powerful yeah scout scout is very good it's a better ability than reckless <laughs> <laughs> but it, another point of toughness is pretty good as well. Yeah. Yeah, our only disagreement is I think I would take Blurry Chaser over Nimble Conscript, pack one, pick one. Blurry Chaser is really good, I will say that. And it, it it's kind of an aggressive creature that is good late game and good early game. And it, it's it's good in all phases. So it's, it's, it's definitely a more general generalist, more mid-range uh, card. So I can see, I can definitely see somebody uh, having that number one and being correct. And then uh, this is kind of more of a, less of a question and more of a challenge to our listeners, including you, Ben. But can you construct a pack where you would pack one, pick one, a blue common in the case where you're not experimenting, but trying to win? <laughs> that was my out. <laughs> My hope is that I was going to experiment with Belligerent Yeti again and be disappointed. So I think the card I would pick if I wasn't experimenting in blue would have to be Cobalt Coin. I would pick Cobalt Coin out of an extremely bad pack because maybe I can splash it in a time deck. Not really splash it, but like I could play it in a time deck. If the cards were just really bad... Cobalt Coin is pretty highly rated in our sheet, but I think, so that, I think most of the time I would not. Yeah, so that's the question, is can someone construct a pack with 11 other cards that are worse than Cobalt Coin? Well, let's just say there's 12 Primal cards in the pack. Then, it's... But you can't, that can't happen. <laughs> yeah, I know. But you could have like the warp cards or coins or uh, that sort of thing. I've seen packs with three coins in them, four coins. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I do think that the blue coin is the best coin. So it could be the case that the cards in the other colors are just are just bad. And there there are a lot of, you know, the, the one cost warp spells, the one ones for one ones for one or one ones for two, that sort of thing. 
It would be real hard. And I'm not sure that I've ever done it. I don't think I've ever first picked a blue common. So I don't think it's realistic to have that, but maybe we can get a screenshot from someone of a pack where the the best card is a primal card of, of some flavor. That would be interesting. So, yeah. I would still take a flyer on the Diso's Racket in that pack, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Diso's Racket better than every primal common. And then um, finally, since or we're recording this before set 6.5 comes out, do you have any hopes for the new curated packs? Uh, I do. Like, I hope that we see more creatures in those packs. Like, honestly, there just are not enough creatures in the in the curated packs. Um, it would be like they do a pretty good job in the curated packs of supporting the synergies, like of mm-hmm. having scout cards, having warp cards, having um, uh, toughness increasers for the twist stuff. I think they should they should keep that and rotate out like the the bad spells for some at least medium or replacement level creatures. Maybe add a little bit of fixing mm-hmm. in there. That might be good for a change, a break from a, a two color format. I would like to see them buff some of the existing set six cards as part of this transition, or maybe maybe they should save that until. Uh, a month or two from now, but at right. some point, I would like to see them buffing some of the uh, primal and shadow commons, like mm-hmm. make belligerent yeti a uh, a one-two. I think would be a buff. Make uh, I, I don't know. Do do something to buff the primal and shadow uh, cards uh, to to make them more like playable cards. And I guess add, add add common support, not uncommon, not rare, but but quality commons in uh, in at least those at least the primal and shadow colors, and hopefully all the colors. That would be nice. Yeah. And then uh, to play off of that question, uh, what do you think about if do you think they should change the pack order like they did for five point five, or do you think that was a successful experiment? I think it, it that format had some specific things going on in it with the three color stuff that uh, made the pack order swapping interesting. I think it would be pretty uninteresting to swap the pack order given the current curated packs. It would mm-hmm. be something that they could do and it would change things up and it would be interesting for a little while. But I think because the power level of the packs is so low, you would you would just be in no color after pack one. And you'd have like one card of three different colors or something like that. And that's not all that interesting uh, to me, I, I guess. And I, I think people would get themselves locked into colors, which would hurt them quite a bit if they're basing that on the power level of the curated packs. I think if they made the curated packs more powerful, then switching the uh, pack order makes a lot more sense because then you're getting into a color for something. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that could be good. So I, I think if the, if the power level of the security packs does something like double, which would not be like, that's not extreme. I think putting the, a curated pack first and a curated pack last could be good. It, like you don't want to take the synergy cards before you know what you're synergizing with. And in general, the payoffs are going to be in. So that's it. So then uh, finally, did this draft format teach you something that helped you improve your limited game? 
Yeah, I think one of the goals that they had when they made this set was to shine some light on some less uh, some cards people thought were not very good, which were like the toughness increasing cards, like cards like Worn Shield or Refresh, or the one two weapons or that sort of thing. And I think that the contextuality of the format matters a lot for determining what cards are powerful or not. Like if we were talking about refresh in uh, set five, it would be a fine card, a good playable, but we wouldn't be talking about it like it would be in in set six. So I, I think it it really matters uh, what what the whole format looks like to determine the, the power level of any individual card. I'm more of kind of like a draft good stuff person. Mm-hmm. So like you still want to draft the good stuff, but um, there's definitely room for there to be cards that you would say are not good in a vacuum to be good in a format. And I, I think this set taught us a little bit of that. That's interesting. Yeah, for me, I think this set really highlighted how good Scout and how good Warp are, yeah. just in general. Because... Uh, you know, we mentioned this earlier. I didn't really draft a lot of Warp or Scout Synergy decks, but I just kept going up and up and up on those cards as the format kept going. I think maybe part of that was it felt like the format slowed down a little bit as it progressed, and so you could play uh, you could play more value games. But it took a long time. But this set showed me that. Sword Pod Crasher is not actually a bad card. Yeah, Blink Wolf, for example, yeah. is is a pretty good card from old sets. It, like Warp, Warp is a very powerful mechanic, and Scout is is super under underappreciated as well. Every time you scout something to the bottom, you're you're kind of drawing a card. Yeah, and when that's a set mechanic, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, and it's just fun. Because you get to play more cards. You yeah, know and you mean? make decisions, right? Like, yeah. is this the card I need now? And I have to decide now for my next turn. So you have to like be looking into the future yeah. and uh, predicting what the case will be. You might scout and see a good card and put it on the bottom, right? That's kind of a a breakthrough that a lot of people will make. Like, here's my flashy rare but I'm on three power and it costs seven and I don't have any in my hand, put it on the bottom. And that's a like a level up moment, I think, for a lot of people. And the more scout you have, the more you can have things like that. Okay, so now on to our uh, patented quick hit questions. So how many horns of plenty would you play in a deck? Uh, no more than three, I would say. Yeah, three, I or think, is, is my upper limit. Uh, this one you asked... How many five-cost removal cards would you play? What, since I asked it, technically, what, why don't you answer first? Yeah, I, this is one of those tricky ones where I f- feel like I felt this way before we looked at the data, but now that I look at the data, I, don't, I can't tell if it's confirmed my opinions or changed my opinions to what they now are, but I would definitely play two gun downs and... One eviscerate in the same deck, so you'd die no. up to three. No, if I were a shadow deck, I would probably top out at one 
eviscerate and in fire i would probably play two gun downs yeah i think i'm actively looking like i don't feel bad about taking the first copy of basically any five cost removal spell probably not hold under because hold under is not really a removal spell but uh downfall gun down and eviscerate i think any deck can play one Mm. and i think it's hard for the decks to be able to play two you have to be uh, pretty defensive. You have to be in a certain type of deck to play more than one five-cost removal spell. That, that like it can't be your stabilization play. Like your stabilization stabilization play has to be like Watchful Aminara or Rusty Grenomotive or something, and then your gun downs come online and pick off the things you can't block already. Yeah, I guess I just feel like gun down is. In most of the fire decks that I draft, I'd be happy with two. That's interesting. Da- Downfall is another card could have been used for. I can't believe I'm going to lose this game. Like it feels bad when people downfall your thing. Like when you twist your corrupted behemoth and then they downfall it, you feel like an idiot. But I think I think that card is a little better than it looks. It's not great. I, I would certainly not play more than one. But. It, in a bad pack, I can see picking one, and then I hope I never see another one. How many chars? Three. Three? Yeah. I agree. That's a good I, number. And I think I would only play three if I was uh, pretty aggressive, uh, because mm-hmm. that's where you can use the tempo the most. Uh, in a normal, like, mid-rangey deck, I would probably cap out at two. Uh, and be looking... sh- Good. How about Streets of Flame? Uh, Streets of Flame kills a lot more threatening creatures, I would mm-hmm. say, and has a little extra value on it. So I would be willing to go to three in the mid-range decks, I think. Mm-hmm. And then in aggressive decks, it would depend on what other cards I have. But I'm a little less excited about Streets of Flame in a Stone Scar aggro deck, for example. I would rather have like a Daring Maneuver sometimes because it does the same thing, but is cheaper. Or a Pummel or something like that. Um, Whereas Streets of Flame is a, maybe a little bit clunky. Not as clunky as, as Gun Down. And it can go to the face, and there's a lot of advantages. But like the more daring maneuvers, pummels, chars you have, you just can't... You, you have to have some creatures as well. You can't just have all all burn spells. So something has to take a hit, and I think Streets of Flame is a better card to not have than one of those other ones that I discussed. Okay, now Felm, playable or not? Yes, it is playable, but it has to be open, which is really hard. Like, just in general, Primal has to be open. And then Shadow is a less deep color than anything else. And that has to be open, too. That's a little little, hard, a little easier for Shadow to be open, because less people get baited into it in pack one. Uh, but there, you know, it's, it's below rate in our sheet. But if, you, if those are the right two colors, then it's okay. And you can get some combos. Yeah, I think you're underselling how below rate it is. Only two, <laughs> only two and a half percent of our lists are found where you would expect ten yeah. percent. Yeah, so it's about four times less than you would expect to see it. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, I would say that uh, Felm being this bad is a surprise to me because there are synergies within the color pairs, and you can. I think it's easy, even though we rag on Primal and a little bit of Shadow, I think you can look at those cards and construct a very good deck 
And it's surprising to me that no one is doing that and, and sending in the lists. It just doesn't seem like it, it's that bad. But I guess if you just take the the two least common colors and put them together, you're not the you know that deck's just not going to show up a lot, and it hasn't. Yeah, and it's it's worse than just the frequency of the two colors individually, right? Mm-hmm. Because shadow is thirty five percent of decks, and primal is twenty percent. Thirty five percent times twenty percent is like seven percent. So we should see seven percent film if it was random. But it turns out when you like put those two colors together, you get something that's worse than the the sum of their parts to some extent. So what's what's the most dangerous creature you would not use your only removal spell on? What do you think? It see this is this was another one of your questions. And I don't have a good answer for it because upon reading your answer, I realized that maybe I'm a, I play a lot more scared than you are because <laughs> I think that's right. <laughs> <laughs> because all the creatures you listed, I would probably use my only removal spell on yeah. and hope for the best. So why yeah. don't you take it away? Well, so I call out here, there's, there's some creatures that on their face are really dangerous but can be non-dangerous depending on the board position. And the ones I call out here specifically are Kimi, Rika, and Bam Sneaky Peaky. Those cards are all, they all appear to be quite dangerous. And like if Kira goes off, it goes off really hard. Um, But it's a 1-4 if you have like multiple creatures that can block it. It's just kind of... Once you get to the board stall situation, it's not doing its thing anymore. It does its thing in the early game uh, when your opponent can't block and kill it, when you can use a combat trick and get over the top of, of one blocker, it's good enough. But then in the late game, not so much. And like BAM is, is in the similar category. Like it's a 3-5 that gets you some extremely minor value if it attacks. It isn't an attack trigger, not a like an infiltrate trigger or anything like that. But if you in a board stall, these creatures do not do anything. So I would not uh, spend my only removal spell on them. Like clearly, if if you have nothing else to do, you have to kill them because these creatures snowball out of control like crazy. But if you can do something about them with your creatures, I would say I'm I'm willing to hold off. What about like? Uh, well, I can here. I have I've defeated your question. Then, sure. I would not use my only piece of removal on Waystone Elemental. Yeah. What if it's a Retribution? <laughs> oh, that's true. Because whenever I play Waystone Elemental, my opponent Retributions it, and that feels pretty bad. Uh, and sometimes you have a darker turn in your hand, and it that feels a little worse. Even I know. But uh, I it agree. Feels even elemental. worse when you play your dark return and then remember that, that yeah that, that it's how it's so. yeah that's that's kind of it's kind of like um, feeding time retribution is in that it it turns off some of the like void synergies that you could have with a card mm-hmm. uh, it turns off. I can't think of anything else right offhand, but I, I've certainly had my unit retributed and had my plans disrupted because of the silence. 
Yeah. It's worse than for me than feeding time. Because feeding time, it feels like it's a this than that. Retribution just reads as an either or. Yeah, it's kind of confusing because like when you're already killing the unit, does it matter that you it's like you silence it, stun it, then kill it? Like, I don't know. Yeah. And, and you can cast it on something that has endurance, which is kind of weird. And so there's some weird stuff going on with that spell. It feels like a, a defiance where it's a kill spell or a stun spell. Right, exactly. It's, it's really both. So what's your favorite twist creature? It depends. So I think if you don't have synergy, Corrupted Behemoth, like mm. that's my favorite creature in the set probably because it's such a standalone good card and it's incidental value. But if you have synergy, if like if you have a horn of plenty, Blood Nurse is pretty crazy. You put a refresh on that, you get like six two two lifesteal flyers. What is your opponent supposed to do about that? I, I don't know. So I, I think with the extreme synergy is at the top of the heap but a uh, corrupted behemoth is like the the steady performer mm-hmm. where it's always going to be very good so th- those are like my two poles of that i would say probably the best twister is uh minotaur plate maker that's a good call if we're moving out if we're expanding our no i think that's reasonable the seraph <laughs> but yeah the plate maker did really well early and surprisingly it hasn't um, hasn't done all that well lately i think people are drafting it and then probably locking into justice and getting cut and it's not working out as well for them uh, but that that card is super powerful so pack one pick one team frost elemental or team lightning sprite i think uh i personally would pick the lightning sprite because for, for a couple of reasons. It's, it's hard for Primal to be open, so it's likely that you're not going to play your first pick Primal card. So if you pick a, a splashable card like Lightning Sprite, you can try and play that with the fixing for Primal that tends to go late because nobody's playing Primal. Whereas with Frost and Elemental, you're kind of a little bit more all in on the I'm going to be playing Primal uh, today plan. Uh, I think Frost Elemental is more powerful. So if I knew I was in like if this is pick four, uh, sorry, pack four, pick one, I would probably take the uh, Frost mm-hmm. Elemental first. But but pack one, pick one, I would take Lightning Sprite. Is it always Sprite for you? I mean, I think that that's reasonable. Yeah, I, I really like Frost Elemental, and I think I never see Sprites, so. <laughs> yeah. but People I, pass Frost Elemental for some reason. Like, you, you can see that card, fifth or sixth, mm-hmm. and you should be taking it and moving into Primal at that point because that's a pretty sure sign that people are not drafting Primal. Okay, so now Team Cannon or Team Stiggy? Pack one, pick one. Uh, I think I already answered this in an earlier question, so I'll, I'll be consistent over being interesting, and I'll say Stiggy Lock because mm. that, card, that card is cheaper, uh, and it does a pretty good job of killing people. Yeah, I think I would take the cannon, pack one, pick one, but I would never be unhappy with this. Yeah, yeah. It, either one is, is going to do a really good job for you. And they're both kind of splashable. Mm-hmm. So it, you're, you're not doing bad with that as your first pick. Okay, and then the much sadder, Team Pyre Adept or Team Blink Wolf? Uh, Blink Wolf for sure. I think it's significantly better. I think 
I, I do think that Pyrodipt is quite good in the format because it's a two drop um, in the curated packs, and mm -hmm. it's not a, it's not embarrassing. There's not that many ping effects, so I would play I don't know two Pyrodipts and not feel bad about myself uh, in an aggressive deck. Uh, but in a, a more mid rangey deck, I'll take all the Blink Wolves I can get. All right, that's what I like to hear. Okay. And then our final quick, quote-unquote, lightning <laughs> round. <laughs> Have you ever drawn a card off of the wanted poster on a headhunter? Uh, I'm sure that I must have. It didn't stand out, though. Uh, people have twisted that more on me than I've twisted on them. And they have not drawn that many cards off it. Yeah. I don't think the wanted poster guy is bad. I think he just... He's kind of in the expedition leader category where you kind of want it to be a uh, card draw spell, and it's kind of hard for it to work out that way. Mm -hmm. You, you kind of need some synergy to make it work, and sometimes it, it just doesn't do what you want it to do. Sometimes yeah. it's a removal spell, sometimes it's a card draw spell, but your opponent kind of chooses which of those that you get. Yeah, so. and it's I, there's just too many moving parts to get that card to work, I think. Yeah, it's also not like super cheap to twist. Is it two or is it three? Just two. Okay. But then it's three cost in total. And in conclusion, yeah. So what are your big takeaways from this draft format? Yeah, so I think I think this format was really good for utilizing extra power in the twist mechanic. Uh, like you would be flooded, but you could still do some things or you'd have to make a difficult decision between twisting a unit and playing another card. And I, th I think those trade-offs of having some way to use your power uh, on a turn, multiple ways, let's say, to use your power on a turn, it creates a lot of decision points, which are uh, very interesting. And I, I think that's one of the, the best features of the format is, is how they let you use your, your power in the late game. Uh, pretty much for all colors. Yeah, I would say my big takeaway from this format is that I I don't know if this is Direwolf Digital's fault or my fault, but I still haven't found a format where I can comfortably draft synergy decks. It's felt like for me that this format, it was the synergy decks just just weren't as good or as easy to get into as they needed to be in order for them to be better than just a good stuff deck. And not that there weren't like these quote unquote pockets of synergies, like these couple card synergies that you would sometimes hit upon, you know, the everything would align, but you were you were just those had to be good cards in and of themselves. I, I agree. I think they need to do more of like synergy where the cards are are individually good. Like Watchful Aminara is like a kind of a good card because it's a synergy enabler that is just a good creature same with uh, like training ground mm -hmm. they, they need more cards like that and less cards like expedition leader where mm -hmm. it's it technically a creature and kind of wants to be a card draw spell but kind of has a negative feedback loop i think cards like the clock tower are actually good because they're not creatures and because the payoff is large and it encourages you to evaluate cards differently, it's just hard when those cards are rares because you can't expect to like see another copy. 
Mm-hmm. So it's hard to really go all in on it. Whereas like maybe clan barracks is an uncommon is a better example of a good build around where it can really snowball you late and it's only an uncommon. So you can kind of draft around it. They need some more like signpost uncommons than signpost rares. Yeah. And if they're going to make a signpost rare, a signpost rare relic, I think they could cost them just like a wee bit more aggressively. Probably, yeah, because is somebody going to play Clock Tower and can ranked? I think that'd be really cool. I think it could cost three, it could cost two, because it is so uh, so synergistic that you, you have to uh, just get some value out of it from the, from the casting cost perspective. All right, so that, I think, concludes our Sunset Show. I think in conclusion, I've had a lot of fun so far. I'm excited to see what set 6.5 brings. And we'll keep on doing the show. So, yeah, I, I'm, I just want to thank all our listeners for being so supportive, uh, being so active in the community, in the in the Twitch chats, in in our email system, and I hope that the Discord provides a good place for draft conversations to happen because I think this is the best mode in the game, and it it really deserves. our passion for it so thank you everyone all right so we're going to end our show there once again a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on itunes stitcher google play join us in our brand new discord link in the show notes and on our website and finally thumbs up all of barefoot farmers reddit posts potentially and don't forget to send all seven wind decks uh, you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Bye. So I think we should end the show there. Hey, it's up to you, sir. Well, we've been recording for an hour and 55 minutes. Hey, that's, that, <laughs> that's, that's a long time. Yeah, I think cool. we don't need... 20 minutes of quadrant theory to fill out this episode. Yeah, I, I think that's it. Okay, so let me finish chewing this kale and then I'll close up the show. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, so we're going to end our sh- Before we started the podcast, Eleanor and I got into a fight, but I think she's forgiven me, so. That's that's the best thing that can happen during a yeah. Practice, I think. So she she just brought me a dr- <laughs> drink and some food because I didn't have dinner yet. That's very nice. Yeah, and she smiled. That that was the biggest hint. <laughs> All right, sorry that's about that. Okay, she said she's still. <laughs> not- <laughs> she does not want you to die. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, that's a good first step. I think I got my foot in the door. <laughs> <laughs>